Amen. Good morning, Calvary. Happy New Year. Happy New Decade. And um, those of you who weren't here last week, we actually started a brand new series on wisdom. That's what that says in Hebrew. That's the word for wisdom. And the idea of wisdom there was this um, overwhelming thing that it's the presence of the Lord in our life that will grant us wisdom. And so we started last week with this idea of missing out on the fear or having the fear of the Lord is, is fearing missing out of God's hand upon your life. The fear of missing out an understanding of what it looks like to really find life. And we ask you to anticipate what it looked like this year as you draw into the presence of God. By the way, if you missed last week, um, you can catch that online. These services are now actually, in fact, it is this service starting at about 1030, our live stream for those who have sick kiddos at home or have to work or out of town. Um, it's not designed to take the place of a community. We hope you're involved in the community church, as Drew so eloquently put. It's important to be involved in a community through our discipleship pathway. But what we want you to hear is we want you to have access to know what it looks like to chase after the presence of God, which is where we'll find wisdom. And as the fear of the Lord, the idea and the hope of that, that God's best interest for life, that the way I find value, the way I find worth is to allow his presence in my life, what ultimately results from there is humility. Now, some of you are sitting there going, great. Sermon on humility. Yeah, I know. And you're, you're sitting here going, I didn't even master last week's sermon. <laughs> and we asked you to pray uh, last week for a year, every day for a year, for wisdom. And I'm sure you all did it. Right? Everybody knows. Some of you are like, yeah, no, you know we didn't always do that. But I want to encourage you to, to stay with it. Because I think a lot of times when we approach these New Year's resolutions, we give up too quickly. That's why gyms are full of people right now who will not be there in February. Right? So you're like, yeah, that's me. And we give up way too easy because we want immediate results. And, and I always use this illustration. I've used it many times, especially with the, the young adults. I always describe your faith like this. Imagine each day of the week as a step closer to God. Let's say this week you took four steps closer to God. And then you took three steps back. Guess what you are at the end of the week? One step closer to God. Now that's not to excuse our sin and sit there and go, well, it's in recognition of our sin. It's not to sit there and go, well, I, I, I can't be perfect, so I might as well do what I want. No, that's not what I'm saying. It's the balance of grace and truth. And when grace and truth are married, that's where you will find the presence of God. That's where you will find wisdom. So truth says... I need to seek after the presence of God. Grace says, I'm not always going to do that well, but I still need to find the balance of those two in the middle. And what ultimately results from that is the goal of seeking after the presence of God isn't perfection, it's seeking His presence. The goal of our faith isn't perfection, it is His presence. Do you get that? His presence is is what will change you. Because you and I were made to be in a relationship with the King of Kings. So have you found His presence? Have you feared the Lord? And how do we stay there? Well, if the fear of the Lord brings you to your knees, humility will keep you there. You know the struggle with talking about humility? 
it is really, really difficult to talk about humility because the problem of humility is that the moment you talk about it, you having it, by definition, you don't. <laughs> right? So if I get up here, and a lot of times people think, well, Daniel, you're supposed to be the expert on the subject. But if I say I'm an expert in humility, by nature, that disqualifies me from being an expert on humility. Right? And so I, I have a plaque in my office that says I'm the most humble person I know, right? No. And it's this, this, this difficult struggle because it's like trying to grasp the wind. Because when you chase after humility, you usually don't find it. So for the note takers in the room, I'm going I'm to brace you. I'm going to give you the end now and say this is going to be a difficult sermon to take notes on, but do your best. And here's the point. When we are able to walk in humility, it will keep us with a proper perspective of fearing the Lord, resulting in the wisdom of the Lord, which will result in the best for your life. So how do we do that? Let's talk about it. First, three things about humility. Why do we like humility? I'm going to give a whole lot of scriptures and a whole lot of quotes um, why? Because once again, I may not be the expert on this subject. So is it okay if we use a lot of scripture? We can interact. Y'all can say amen. It's okay. We could talk. Proverbs 22, 4, it says this. Humility, the fear of the Lord results in wealth, honor, and life. Humility, which comes from the fear of the Lord, results in wealth, honor, and life. So Daniel, you're always telling us that we're not a name and claim it kind of people, that if I follow Jesus, I'm going to get rich, and I'm going to marry the best spouse, and my kids are going to be little angels. You've always told me that life still has problems, so how does that wrap? Well, let me explain it to you like this, because ultimately the fear of the Lord grants you wisdom. And so when you walk in the presence of the Lord, you are able to navigate life in a better way. Let me give you a natural, practical way this plays out. You're 24 years old. You got a new job. It doesn't pay much, but it is like 100 times more than you've ever made. Amen? And you start doing the math, and you don't think about things like clothes or insurance or all you see is that paycheck, and you sit there and you think, I can afford the new car. And not just any car, leather seats, right? And not just leather seats, but wait for it, wait for it, right? The kind of car that greets you when you walk up. Anybody ever heard of that? Anyway, it's another story. Um, and so you sit there and you go, I've got my dream car and now I have a lot of debt. And then at 50 years old, you're sitting there going, why am I not doing better financially when I am following God? Because you were stupid. <laughs> Testify, right? <laughs> I'm looking in the mirror. So the reality is the fear of the Lord. So what this does, when you chase after the Lord, it gives you your proper perspective. 
And so you don't find your identity and your value in the things you own. You found your identity in being a child of God. And so all of a sudden, all that you really need is the car to get you from point A to point B. And as long as you're understanding that I'm not going to be in a mountain of debt, I'm just going to be in a little small bit of debt. And then I'm going to work my way out of it quickly so that I can do what God's asked me to do. That's how that works out. Do you get it? It's chasing after the things that God wants you to chase out after so that ultimately you're not robbed from finding God's best for your life. Why do we like humility? Because it's where we find our best life. Why do we need humility? Proverbs 11, 2. When arrogance comes, disgrace follows. What's the opposite of wisdom? Arrogance. When arrogance comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes wisdom. I love this quote by Benjamin Witchcote. None are as empty as those that are full of themselves. Right? None are as empty as those that are full of themselves. You know, one of the difficult problems with arrogance and pride is much like humility, it's hard to know if you have it. Or is it? It's really not because everybody else knows that you have it. And you may not realize it. So the way that practically works out around here is sometimes if you sit there and you come every Sunday morning to the service and you sit there and think one of my favorite phrases that people come up to me and say, Pastor, that was a great sermon. Every one of those people need to hear it. (laughs) Hello? Right? Or you sit there and you go, this church would be better if they would just do what I tell them to do. And you might not phrase it like that, but you're thinking it. And you've hopped from church to church trying to find why there isn't the perfect church for you. Emphasis on you. Right? Or you sit and you go around life and you sit there and you think, my marriage would be great if my spouse would just change. My kids would be wonderful if they would just do exactly what I told them to do. The United States of America would be great if I could be president and Congress and the Senate and the judges and tell the world how to function. You might be arrogant. You might be arrogant if you struggle having friendships because no friend meets your expectations. You might have a little pride if You struggle finding any community because no one's good enough for you. My own feet are hurting, so let's uh, go on to Proverbs 18, 12. It says this, Before his downfall, or hers, a person's heart is proud. But humility comes before honor. Who doesn't want honor, respect, value? We chase after honor. We chase after value. We chase after people going, wow, you're doing a great job. We long for it with promotions. We long for it with, my spouse would just tell me I'm doing a great job, right? We want those things. But you know what you, much like humility, you can't really grasp honor by grabbing after honor. Respect me is a fool's way of saying, I know I'm not respected, but I'm trying to make you. 
Honor comes when you humble yourself and in humility place others before you. And you chase after what's best for the company, and so you get the promotion. You chase after what's best for your spouse, and so your spouse actually respects you. You chase after what's best for your family, so your kids actually follow you. You chase after best what's for your friends, and so your friends actually think it's cool, right? Honor actually comes to the humble because the humble aren't making life about this world is here to serve me. Happy New Year. So as we gain humility, the reward of humility is honor. And Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches, and humility comes before honor. Hmm. Who doesn't want honor? Right? So let's look at actual definition of humility. You can screenshot this if you want. The world defines humility as a lowering of oneself in relation to others, a state or the act of being humble, a freedom of pride and arrogance and having a modest opinion or estimate of one's own worth. Patheos. Or patheos. Depends on if you want to say Koinine Greek or modern Greek because somebody will want to tell me that later, the right way to say it. And what I would say is this sermon's for you, Right? Wait a minute, I just threw them under the bus, so that's also for me. Right? And as you're looking at this, you sit there and you go, what, what is humility and, and how do we... So the idea of humility balances out because I think there, once again, we talk about the truth and the grace people. And the truth people need humility. Why? Because they go around saying, this is how you need to behave. God loves you but this is how you need to behave, right? And the truth people aren't necessarily wrong, but their attitude is wrong, so they're wrong. But the other side of the way that churches have sometimes gone is to the err on the side of grace. How can you err on the side of grace? Oh, God loves you, so do whatever you want. Live like you want. You can find the pleasure of God, and it's okay, love, just whatever. The truth has to be married with grace to find the presence of God. C.S. Lewis says this, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. Oh, little difference, big difference. Little distinction, big difference. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. So let me balance this out again with the truth people. Probably think way too much of themselves and they know it, but they think they have truth on their side. The people over here who err on the side of grace probably think the only way to really have true humility is to put myself down. But the problem with that is you were made in the image of God. And you are a son or a daughter of the king. And Christ himself came and he died on this planet for you. And for me. And he wants you to place your value in him. Not in a list of ideals, truth people. Not in a list of just anything goes, God loves you unconditionally, grace people. 
but in the marriage of the fact that God has a better way for you to live and wants you to live in that, which is where truth is, married with the fact that you can't possibly live up to that standard, but God loves you anyway in the middle. And we find the marriage of truth and grace is where we find humility lies. Because God actually cares about you. So let's unpack this in the way that the church needs to practice this because I don't think the church, I'm not talking Calvary, I'm talking the big church, big C, you know, practice this as well. Because here's what we do far too often. We take a moral stand. And if we take a moral stand, pick a topic, any topic, I'm not going to name them right now because that's not the point. But you pick a topic and you take a moral topic and we say, God's word says it, repent. Well, technically you're right. Where's your heart? The other side of it is, God doesn't care about your morals. He just loves you. Do I discipline my children because I love them? Mostly. (laughs) When I'm walking with the Lord, I do. (laughs) God has the best way for you to live, and there is truth. There are moral things that He wants... But ultimately, trusting in the fact that you can't possibly perfectly attain that and allowing God's grace. So the way this works is we know that we're able to take moral stands when we care about the people that we're sharing them with. If not, do me a favor. Please stay silent. Social media, I'm talking to you. You might hear name social media, by the way. That was a joke. Didn't go over well. When we understand why we share, it's because we understand what it looks like to have received the greatest gift that the world has ever known. We come to this idea that says, God has changed me. God has showed up and given me the greatest gift that I can imagine. I found my value. I found my dignity and I found my worth. And I want you to have that. So here's why God says to do that. Not just because of standard of right and wrong, but because he actually cares for you. Do you understand? What would it look like if the church really loved like that? If we didn't go around going, man, this church needs to change because blah, 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 blah. What would it look like if we were known in the community as people who loved but in a way that wasn't just like, eh, we look just like the world. What would it look like if we actually anticipated the presence of God coming into our lives in such a way that when we walked with Him, everything changed? I think it would look a lot like Christmas morning every day. Have you ever given the perfect gift? Not received, but given. My wife is a much, much better gift giver than I am. I try. A lot of times I a swing and a miss, but you could tell. You know, she, she does a really good job of, of, I can just tell. I'm married to her, right? But when you actually give her that gift and she opens it up and her face lights up or when I finally gave my, my dad a gift that wasn't a necktie that he got excited about, you know? I thought dads just wanted neckties all the time. Who knew? But when, I, when I, I actually gave him a gift and, and you see their face light up and you sit there and you go, this is joy. This 
pales in comparison to understand what it looks like when you help someone find their meaning of life. You know why we don't help people find the meaning of life? Because we struggle to find it. And we struggle to find it because we keep trying to do things our way, our desires, and fulfill our hope and find our ambitions. And all the while, God's saying, stop, you're missing out on what you were made for. So how do we get there? Humility is not an ideal. It is the unconscious result of life of a life being rightly related to God. Let me read that quote again. Humility is not an ideal. It is the unconscious result of the life being rightly related to God. So biblical humility is when we stop thinking of ourselves and we start, wait for it, submitting to God. Oh, great. He said submission. Everybody loves the word submission, right? I mean, I love submission, don't you? We get to, I mean, submission means I'm yielding my spirit to another person. Is he going to go into marriage? No, not the way you think. Is he going to go into, I think we've struggled with submission since the garden. Because why did Adam and Eve sin? They wanted something different than what God told them to. So they didn't submit to God's way. And what ended up bringing was life of destruction. But when you submit, when you yield to the way that God wants you to do and know that you can't be perfect and you balance the truth with the grace and you find that God loves you right there and you stop trying to find your value and your worth by the things that you think will bring you value and worth and you truly rest in the value that God has given you and placed on you as the fact that he knows and made your specific fingerprint. He knows how many hairs are on your head or lack thereof. He knows your personality, your quirks, the things that you wish you would change. He sits there and goes, no, uh daughter, I love that part about you. Uh-uh, son, you were given that with a purpose and find what that purpose is and you'll change the world. And when you look at, at how God intricately cares and knows everything about you way more than your mama and you rest there, you will change the world because you will want to submit to what God asks because here's where you find your value and your dignity. And yeah, you know what happens when you submit to God? You start practicing humility and you start submitting to others. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consultation of love, if there is any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affliction and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. So everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude as Christ Jesus, because guess what? Christ submitted himself for our benefit. Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he humbled himself by assuming the form of a servant, 
taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come down as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was exalted. Why? He humbled himself. Because Jesus went and submitted and, and play, paid our way and, and died on a cross so that you and I could have our intimate relationship with him from now and forevermore. That if anyone confesses with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believes in the heart that he was raised from the dead and that he is alive, then you can have a relationship with him here and now. And he will direct you. Salvation isn't just heaven. Salvation begins here and now. And yeah, life still is hard, but God will direct you and guide you and give you hope and give you strength and give you peace and give you joy in the most trying circumstances when you rest in the presence of him. But it requires you submitting your will to his will. You got to decide if you want to do it. Because we're masters of justification. But the word of God came to earth, listen to another quote, in the form of a homeless child. It should come no surprise that the word of God also comes in the form of stories told by fishermen, tax collectors, bleeding women, and beggars. And might I even say people who live in West Lafayette, Indiana, or Lafayette, or the greater Lafayette area, or Delphi, I don't know. The word of God comes to us in humility. Why? Because it came for you. So how do you practice humility? You practice your humility by finding your value and being a child of God through the cross. And if you've never done that, we'd like to invite you to do that. Stop by the next step space on the way out and let us tell you more. But you also practice humility by placing others' needs before yourself. How do you do that? Well, I was talking to Drew Phillips about this sermon, and he's, he told me something Eugene Peterson once said. He said, a practical way to practice placing others before yourself is to stay curious about them. And I love that. Curiosity. And so one of the three ways to do this, here's our slide, our, our, our daily training, our Monday morning application, our life application, whatever you want to throw it out there. As often as you can, be curious about how you can evaluate the lives of others. Elevate the lives of others, not evaluate. That's a totally different thing. <laughs> Elevate the lives of others. And let me give you three sub-questions, which will not be on the screen, that you can ask. And identify, hopefully, one of the first two, and then do the third one as well. The first one is, ask yourself when you're thinking about life, what makes them tick? Practical one. Okay? Kids, what makes your mom tick? What do you mean? What are her interests? Well, laundry and cooking and dad when he's in a, a nice to her, right? No, your mom actually probably has interest outside of cooking and laundry, or if the dad does it, he has interest outside of the cooking and the laundry, right? What about the teacher at school? Well, their interests are math or science. I'm pretty sure they live there. We laugh as adults, but the reality is we live a lot like that in our own world. What is the interest of the preacher? Well, he just likes talking about God. 
I actually like golf. Just FYI. <laughs> and apple pies, my address will be listed below. Um, but the, <laughs> please don't do that. I'll have four. I'll, be, I'll, feel, I'll feel really guilty about it. Save it for like a month from now, and then I'll take them. But <laughs> when you look at what this is, people have interests. And so often what we want to do is we want to go, listen to me, I have interest. You should care what I think about. They're going to care what you think about when you first believe that you care about them. Model it first. Second one, how can I make them smile? Oh, so simple. How can I make my spouse smile today? What you're doing is you're trying to give them dignity. You're trying to help them find value. How can I make my kids smile? How can I make the person at the gas station, the person at the bank? How can I help them find a little bit of joy? And hopefully that ultimately makes you think about them. It's not just, it's training you to not just think about yourself, but living outside yourself. And third, how can I point them to Jesus? Because see, the way this all unfolds is this. I believe that God wants you to have wisdom and wisdom comes from fearing, missing out on the presence of God. And as you fear missing out on the presence of God to guide you and direct you, it will force you to fight the battle within you to say, live for myself or to stay humble. And if you can learn to keep your eyes open, not just for yourself, but for other people, it creates a posture that makes you more receptive to hear what God wants you to do in your life, which will ultimately result in the presence of God staying with you, which will allow you to fear the God, which allows you to next week come back. We're going to talk more about integrity. All right. You don't have to master it. The goal isn't perfection. The goal is his presence. What would it look like if we really did that? If we were known as the church that makes people smile. Sometimes with truth. Sometimes with hard truths. What would it look like in our small groups? What would it look like in our families? What if the goal of your family today at lunch was to see who could outdo each other and making each other smile because I'm going to win? That's not the point. Because I want to see them smile. I think you would find a little bit more of the kingdom of heaven on this earth. I pray that it is and it spreads. So God, give us the wisdom that we ask, that we believe that you will grant. The wisdom to not make our lives about us, to chase after the fool's gold of this world, but to chase after the presence of you. And God, when we get in the way, help us to submit our will and to practice that by thinking of the needs of others and to ask you what you want for our life. And God, may we rest in there believing that you are a God of hope, that you are a God of peace, that you are a God of joy, that you are a God of salvation, that you are a God of truth, that you are a God of, yes, judgment, but you are also our friend. And that, God, you are everlasting and you are present and you are here and you are tangible and knowable. And God, help us to rest in you. Change us. Grant us wisdom so that we might live for you better. In your holy and righteous name we pray, the name that is above all other names, the name of Jesus. Amen.